We're going to be in James chapter 3 tonight, guys. We're continuing on in our study in James. And um, it's, it's been very practical, hopefully, for you. As I mentioned each week that I've taught, um, James is known as the wisdom literature of the New Testament. Fifty exhortations in the book of James that James gives to believers that really has a lot to do with practical living. And uh, we've seen that every step of the way. Even last week, uh, Pastor Bogren did a great job. Steve did a great job talking about um, the tongue and, and the reality of the destructiveness of the tongue and taming the tongue and the words that we speak and uh, how those words, once they exit our mouth, um, can just be destructive or they can build up. And so Paul, I'm sorry, I always say Paul because I'm so used to preaching from Paul's epistles, but James continues this kind of train of thought after he speaks about taming the tongue and talks about the words that come out of our mouth. And previous to that, he was talking about faith without works being dead and and how we have to be doers of the word. And now, I I believe as he goes to chapter 3, verse 13, where we're going to be tonight, verses 13 to 18, James gets into kind of wisdom here, but also kind of like the ability to use all that he's been teaching practically in our lives. Um, wisdom is defined as the ability to, to live skillfully. Uh, wisdom allows us to, to use skill in living. And, and as we look at this passage, we're going to see wisdom and understanding coming into play. Wisdom is skill in living. Understanding is being able to apply with skill the area of expertise that we're, we're looking at in everyday living situations. And so it's the ability to live wisely, skill in living, but then with understanding and applying that to our day-to-day living and our day-to-day activities. And so we're going to see that tonight in verses 13 to 18 uh, as we talk about wisdom that is from above. So follow along there, James chapter 3, 13 to 18. On the back side of that handout, there's the scripture verses for you. If you want to follow along on your handout or you can look at your copy of the word and uh, you can just follow along there in James chapter 3, 13 18. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every evil or vile practice." But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's a very pointed, again, passage that James doesn't really, you know, pull any punches here. I mean, he just goes right for it in this text, and he's very plain. He's very forthright about what he's talking about here. And what's interesting is that as James has been talking each step of the way about practical living things, and like I said, the previous two weeks we've looked at the necessity of taming the tongue and then also how faith without works is dead being alone, James is always pointing the hearer, the listener, the, the Jews that were scattered abroad here from the 12 tribes that's written to, he was always pointing them to the point of action in their living. And how what they are receiving from the Lord and what they're learning from the Lord is not something that they just put inside, keep there, and once they get it, they just move on. But no, it's something that should have an impact and effectiveness in our thinking, in our words, in our actions, in our living. 
And, and so really each step of the way we've seen that, that there's been a kind of an examination that needs to take place of what are we doing with the word that we've received? What are we doing with the instruction that we've received? And now James is bringing this to a point at the end of chapter 3 where he asks the question, who is wise in understanding among you? He, he asks this kind of opening question here for this section. Okay, is there anybody who is wise in understanding among you? Now, when you think about that for a minute, if someone gave you and said, hey, who do you know that is wise and has good understanding? Uh, I don't know who might come to your mind or who you might say. I mean, I have people in my life that I would say, oh, yeah, this person or this person. But why would those individuals come to our mind? Think about that for a minute. Someone said, hey, who's the wisest person that you know? Everybody might have someone in their mind that comes up right now. Who is the wisest person you know? And then when the question would follow up of, well, why them? Why them? Hopefully there is a legitimate or good reason they would come to our minds. And, and for most people, when you ask, hey, who do you know that's wise? Individuals might right away think of someone who is, you know, older in age, someone who has lived more life, someone who has experienced more, someone who has more of an understanding and backdrop to living because they've lived it, they've been through it, they've done it. And, and James is asking this question, and it's not, he's not asking for an answer. It's a rhetorical question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he says this, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And so he says, if there's anybody that's wise or understanding among you, that should be seen in your conduct and in your living. And so I want to give some truths about wisdom tonight as we look at wisdom. And really what James is going to contrast in these verses is wisdom that is from above versus the wisdom from this world. Earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. Living in a manner that pleases the Lord. And so here's the truth about wisdom. Number one, there's a contrast between wisdom from above and wisdom from this world. There's a huge contrast between wisdom from above and wisdom from the world. And it's important for us to note this. It's important for us to understand this. He says, who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work. His works in the meekness of wisdom. So James starts right off the bat by saying, listen, if you are wise, if you have understanding, and in the context, again, he's writing to believers in Christ who are scattered abroad, Jews that believe in Jesus from all 12 tribes that are scattered, they're dispersed. And so he's talking in the context of the church here. He's talking to believers here. And he says in this context, like, who is it among you that is wise? And who has understanding among you? And if someone would claim to be wise and claim to have understanding, let him show it by his conduct. So here's the reality, guys, that there's a contrast between wisdom from above and wisdom from this world. And when we say wisdom from above, we talk about wisdom that comes from the Lord. Wisdom that is heavenly wisdom or wisdom and instruction that we receive from God and following God and living according to God's standards versus what the world tells us, what the world instructs us to do. And we see this in every area of life, how there's a huge contrast. I remember growing up as a teenager, going into college, all the instruction that I would receive uh, from friends that did not know Christ versus the church and the scriptures and the teaching of the word of God when it came to dating and when it came to engagement and when it came to marriage were completely opposite from one another. Um, you know, we can make light of it, but when you think about the physical relationship that takes place in a dating relationship, there are all kinds of things that are expectations for your relationship with whoever you're in a relationship with prior to marriage. 
and phrases are used when it comes to physical things and sexual activity. There's all kinds of phrases that are used. People will be like, hey, you have to you know, test drive a car before you buy it. I'm talking about sexual activity before marriage. How could you even know that it's someone you'd want to be with for the rest of your life if you haven't had sex, if you've not participated in that? How could you think that that's someone you're going to spend the rest of your life with if you've never lived with them? If you've never, you know, had an apartment with them or had a house with them, why would you enter into a marriage relationship where you're stuck when you've not lived together? You know, there's, there's earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, right? There's a contrast there. There's earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom when it comes to ethics, when it comes to business, when it comes to getting ahead, when it comes to promotion, when it comes to advancing in your career. There's earthly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom. There's a stark contrast between the conduct and living of those that have wisdom from above and wisdom from the world. And so here's what's interesting. So often, even believers are seeking and following the wisdom from the world rather than the wisdom that is from God. That's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. Because if we know Christ, if we have relationship with God and we know Christ Jesus, we know that our source for wisdom in God, in God's word from our Lord is of far greater value, of far greater worth, of far greater production than anything the world has to offer us. And so we should be going to the right source to receive that wisdom because guess what? God just knows better, doesn't he? And yet so often we are so quick to latch on to the wisdom that is from this world. And he says, if you're wise and understanding, show by your conduct that you are. And the conduct, obviously, he's speaking about here is conduct that's honoring to the Lord and not dishonoring to the Lord. Um, yesterday I had a chance to go up to Buffalo, New York. And, uh, you know, and I'm aware tonight, there's a game going on tonight a little later on. And um, my heart's going to have, you know... Just such hurt, I'm sure, later on tonight. There's going to be a tragic thing that's going to take place in the final score. But I went to Buffalo yesterday with one of our pastors, and um, we went there to, for some um, administrative things that had to be done. And so I rode along with him, and we were discussing some different things, you know, ministry-wise and discipleship-wise. But anyhow, prior to going to Buffalo, we both are huge Buffalo Wing fans. Like, we like wings, okay, Buffalo Wings. And so I did some research before we went up there, because I'm like, if we're going to go up there and be up there for the day, I want to go to lunch somewhere where I can get some wings from Buffalo, Buffalo Wings, okay? And there's a, there's a Buffalo Wing place called Duff's. How many have ever heard of Duff's before? If you've ever heard of Buffalo, New York, or you've ever been to Buffalo, New York, and you're interested in wings, Duff's is like world famous, like Buffalo Wings is Duff's, Okay. So I did some research, went to TripAdvisor. This is how seriously I took wings, okay? I went to TripAdvisor to find out what TripAdvisor would say is the best wings to eat in Buffalo, what restaurants. And I saw, and they made recommendations. Duff's was one of them, which is the famous place, et cetera. So after I did that, I got thinking. I thought, you know what? The best place to ask what is the best wings in Buffalo are from people who live in Buffalo, like, that just would make sense to me because they, they lived there. They would be the same as if I was like, hey, best place to eat in Akron. I'm not going to get the opinions of people who don't live here. I'm going to get the people who live here, right? So I went on, I'm a part of a, a Facebook page called Bill's Mafia. And so I went on the Bill's Mafia Facebook page and searched out best wings in Buffalo. And sure enough, there's countless posts about wings. And these people take their wings very seriously. Like, they were arguing about best wing places. But there was one wing place that consistently, in all the chats, kept coming up as number one. One place. 
And so I thought that that has to be the place. And so I looked it up and looked at the pictures and saw the pictures. I'm like, that's the place. So that's where we went. And I'll tell you what, it's the best wings I've ever had. The best wings I've ever had. Blue cheese that was homemade blue cheese with the buffalo wings. It was it was the best. My mouth's watering right now, even though I'm not even hungry. And so, but I went to the source. I went to people who live in Buffalo to find this out because they would know best and they were right. Okay, they were right. And I share this because here's what I think when I think about the conduct and wisdom from above versus wisdom from the world. Why are we consistently going to sources that don't know what they're talking about when we can go directly to the primary source who knows all things? Does that make sense? Like, as I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about why we as believers who have access to our Heavenly Father, who through Christ have relationship with our God that we can refer to in an intimate sense as our dad, as the one who cares for us and knows us, and we can call to him knowing he hears us and will answer, and yet we consistently are pulling the crowd for what they think is best when they have no idea. And then to make things even worse, we pull from the crowd or listen to what the world says, and then we follow what they say, ignoring, ignoring the wisdom that is from above from the one who knows best. Because that's not wisdom, that's, that's foolishness. That's why in Proverbs it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And yet how often in our conduct, in our conduct, do we demonstrate that we have said in our heart there is no God? Even as believers. And it gets, it gets even more, more direct in a minute. Like if that's direct, way do we get a little bit further with what James says? But here's the reality, truth number one. There's a contrast between wisdom from above and wisdom from this world. Guys, listen to me. Go to the right source, the living Source, the one who has all wisdom and all knowledge as our source. That's what James is saying here. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his what kind of conduct? Look what it says. By his what? Good conduct. By his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Huge contrast. Number two, wisdom from above is marked by good conduct and meekness. Again, it's one thing to, to stop with just say, hey, let him show, let him show his works, right? No, he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works with meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom from above is marked by good conduct and meekness. Meekness can also be translated gentleness, is a distinct contrast here from the wisdom that is from the world. And James is saying here that conduct is good, but don't miss this. He doesn't just say good conduct, but he says that's done with the meekness of wisdom. So not only is the conduct reflective of heavenly wisdom, but also the attitude by which the conduct is being done reflects heavenly wisdom. You see that? That's, and that's, that can be convicting, can it? Um, because if, if you're like me and, and a lot of people, we can maybe tend to focus on, all right, I'm just going to do the right thing, but not necessarily with the right heart and attitude in doing the right thing, <laughs> right? It's, it's the same. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You got to do your chores, okay? Whether they have a good attitude or a bad attitude about it, the chores are getting done. It's much more pleasant when they have a good attitude, when they're doing it with the right 
motivation and the right conduct. But he says, wisdom from above is marked by good conduct and with the meekness of wisdom. Again, gentleness, a contrast from the world. The works show this and the attitude shows this. Guys, listen, if we are living and walking with wisdom that is from above, that will not only be seen in the works that we're doing, but in the attitude that is behind the works. Man, we can be guilty sometimes, can't we? Wisdom from above produces what we should want produced in our lives. This is not just talk here. It's a walk that follows it. We already looked at last week about the tongue and how no man can tame the tongue. And, and we already looked, you know, if you've been here on Sunday mornings and we've been looking at 1 Corinthians about how the Corinthian believers were boastful and they were arrogant. We, we can do this, right? People can do this. We can talk and talk and talk. We can give chatter over and over. We can speak a lot of big things. But what's really the motivation of the heart? What's really being produced in our actions? What are we literally demonstrating in our walk? And he says, if we have wisdom that is from above, we will show it by our good works with this heart attitude of meekness and wisdom is what will be reflected and what will be seen. Our conduct should show this. If we're walking in heavenly wisdom, wisdom from above, your life, my life should be marked by good conduct and an attitude that is fitting to bring glory to God. And listen to this. Guys, I think this is important. If you and I belong to God, if we are truly God's children, if we are students of God's word, our conduct, our living, and our attitudes should show this. Our conduct and our living, but also our attitudes, the motivations of our hearts should show this. It should be clear that we belong to the Lord. It should be clear that we belong to the Lord. When we're spending time in God's word and we are developing an intimate fellowship with God, people should be able to see, man, this, this person has been with the Lord. This person has been transformed by the Lord. They should be able to spot it. It should stand out. They, they should be able to see it. And guys, listen, it's not only something that we shouldn't be able to be hiding, but it's also something that should naturally be seen by anybody who comes in contact with us. They should be able to spot that. Uh, I remember when I was in college and then when I was a youth pastor, in college, we used to wrestle in the dorm. And I remember one time, and I'm not the biggest guy, but I remember when we were wrestling in the dorm one day, and there was a guy, his name was Paul. And Paul was a very athletic guy. Uh, he was a little bit taller than me, um, and he was more athletic than I was, but I was a little bit stockier than him. And, and when I was in college, I was really into, like, weightlifting and all that. But I used to wrestle when I was in middle school. And so if you've ever wrestled, I started wrestling when I was in elementary school, then started wrestling a little bit when I was in middle school before I started, before I was a basketball star, obviously, right, before I got into that. But I was a wrestler, always get to laugh. I was a wrestler in, in middle school, in elementary school. And here's the thing, and my dad always taught me this because my dad told me, hey, if you, if you just go out for wrestling, he's like, you'll learn things that will stay with you the rest of your life and they'll benefit you the rest of your life. So whenever I used to, we'd be in the dorm and guys would want to wrestle in the dorm. I hadn't wrestled in seven years. It was sixth grade was the last time I wrestled. And it had been seven, eight years since I had wrestled. And the first time we were in the dorm, I was a freshman. And Paul and I were going to lock up the wrestle. And he came running at me. And the guy never wrestled a day in his life. And I was able to just have my way with Paul. I was throwing him. And there are guys that were wrestlers and guys that weren't that were watching the dorm. They're like, you used to wrestle, didn't you? 
And I'm like, yeah, how do you know? And they're like, we can tell by the way you just did that. Well, then when I was a youth pastor, I remember going on a missions trip, and kids were wanting to wrestle, and so we'd wrestle. And it's just, they could, people would come up and be like, hey, did you used to wrestle? And I'm like, yeah, how do you know? And like, well, the way you have your feet, and the way wrestlers knew when they looked, because there's a certain stance that you have, and you have your weight balanced a certain way, and, and you know how to defend yourself. And, and it was something that for years and years I never did anything with, but it never left me. And people could identify it and see it the moment anything happened, I used to wrestle. And I was shocked at how people knew that. And to this day, if I'm wrestling with someone, people will say, that's not that I go around wrestling with everybody, but sometimes that happens where you're messing around. And if I'm on a youth event or when I was doing college ministry, guys would come up and and, and it was like easy for me because they had no idea what they were doing. And, and I had a little bit of training in it, let alone if I had a lot of training in it. Guys, listen, as believers in Christ, we have had very much training. A lot of it. Years and years and years of it. But is that reflected to a watching world whenever they see us that they say, guaranteed, you, you belong to Christ. Guaranteed, you follow God. How could you tell? By the way that you're standing and the way that you talk and the way that you're, not literally your stance, but you know what I'm saying here. Everything about us communicates to a watching world. You belong to Jesus, don't you? You've learned at the feet of Jesus, haven't you? For years and years and years and years. Guys, I don't have to ever think about that. If right now I called someone up here, I'm like, all right, let's wrestle. I'm immediately going to get into a stance like this. And I'm going to lunge at you. And I'm going to go for a single leg takedown. Or I'm going to get you in a chicken wing. I'm going to do something. Not because I'm prepared in advance, like, I'm going to think about how I'm going to do it. It's just naturally, I'm going to stay, all right, you want to run, let's go. And I'm immediately going to get to a wrestling stance, immediately. Why? Because I, I just had that training years ago. Is it that way in our walk with Christ? Is it that way in our conduct? That people see it and they say, no doubt that person belongs to Jesus Christ. And guys, listen, if it's not that way for us, Why? Is it because we haven't attended enough studies? Is it because we haven't read the Bible enough? Is it because we don't truly know enough? Or is it because we just never, with wisdom that is from above, have skillfully sought to live for the Lord with the knowledge and understanding and life change that he's brought? We're not walking in the spirit, but in the flesh. Our conduct should show this. He says, with meekness, wisdom from above is marked by good conduct and meekness. A watching world should be able to identify and see. Number three, wisdom from the earth is marked by selfishness, bitter, bitterness, and jealousy. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is what's very interesting. He says, by your good conduct, you should show forth in meekness of wisdom that you are wise and understanding. But in con- he says the word but right there. He says but. In contrast to that, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. It- this is where it goes back to the reflective of the heart attitude because he says y- you can boast great things. And there were those that were boasting great things. But he says if you have bitter jealousy and envy in your hearts, your boasting is, is false. It's a lie. It's a lie. Wisdom from the earth is marked by selfishness, bitterness, and jealousy. There's something far different going on the inside here. Inwardly, there is decay and rot. 
outwardly there's boasting, and these are falsehoods. There's a need for examination of what is on the inside here, not just the outside. Uh, a little while back when we were looking for a house, we bought a house last year, and while we were looking, we were looking online, and I can't tell you, houses that, that we had looked at previous to the house we bought, we looked online, and they're like, man, this house looks fantastic, and I can't believe that they're only asking X amount of dollars for it, and, but then we would go in person to look at it, and we were like, this is the same house? Because you'd walk in the door and it was like the pictures did not show this, right? Because the picture that showed from the outside, it was like, wow. But what was on the inside, when you would get there in person and look on the inside, it was like, man. And that's why I, I don't know how people buy sight unseen. They look on the internet, like they'll be out of state, buy it sight unseen, and then they'll show up and they hope it's good. But there's so much of this in our world today, isn't there, through social media, and filters, if you know what filters are for the social media platforms, uh, so much when it comes to, you know, airbrushing and touch-ups on pictures. There's so much of this when it comes to what people are representing themselves as or presenting themselves as versus what the reality is within the heart. You know what James says here? Even in the church, believe it or not, there were people who were boasting great things about their wisdom and understanding. And James says, but they have bitter jealousy and envy in their hearts and their boasting is deceitful and lies because they're in reality not truly following the Lord. Bitter jealousy leads to selfish ambition. And guys, that clearly is not from God. Bitter jealousy leads to selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is not from God. If you get a chance to read Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, we don't have time tonight. But in Matthew 20, 20, 28, that's the passage where James and John come to Jesus. And by the way, um, they come to Jesus, and here's what they ask. Jesus, you know, their mother is the one who actually asked it in this passage in Matthew. Mark's account says that James and John actually asked as well. But in Matthew's account, he talks about James and John's mother, the sons of Debedee. Their mom came to Jesus and was like, here's what I want, Jesus. I want my sons to sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your kingdom. I want them to be the most prominent people. That's a bold ask. Right? That's a bold ask. The disciples were mad about that. They heard it and they were mad. Probably they were mad because they wanted to sit at the right and left hand. But they were mad. And, and Jesus then used this as an opportunity to teach and say, listen, even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And, and there's this clear understanding. Selfish ambition and vain conceit have no part in the kingdom of God. And it should have no part in the conduct of those that are citizens of heaven. And that's what was going on here. And James is admonishing him for this. Wisdom from the earth. It's marked by selfishness, bitterness, and jealousy. This is not from God. Number four, we got to go quick. Wisdom from the earth is unspiritual and demonic. Guys, look at this, verse 15. This is where I told you it's going to be a little bit more hard-hitting and like pointed and, and clear. Verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And I want you to process this for a minute, because James is talking about the conduct, and specifically when he's talking about this, he's admonishing who, again? Who's he writing this to? The church, the believers, the Jews that are scattered abroad for the sake of the gospel. These are believers in Christ, and he's writing to them, and he's He's giving them some correction here. He's giving them encouragement and exhortation and instruction. But he's doing this in the, con in the context of those that were claiming to have wisdom and claiming to have understanding, but they were living a lie. They were living and boasting, and they had selfish ambition and vain conceit in their heart. And he's wanting them to understand that is not from God. That kind of living is not from God. 
But he goes on in verse 15, and this is very like sobering. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. What? The wisdom that has selfish ambition, ambition, jealousy in their hearts, and boasting about the truth that's false. He said, this is earthly. It's not of the heavens, not of God. It's of the earth. It's, it's not eternal. It's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Listen to this. Because I think we can be very guilty of this as believers. Certainly from an unbelieving world, this can be something that people are guilty of. But I think even amongst believers, we can be guilty of this. James makes something abundantly clear here. This kind of conduct, it's not just something that is earthly. It is earthly. So it's not of God. And it's not of God's wisdom. Selfish ambition and vain conceit, jealousy. That's not from God, right? That's, that's earthly. It's of this world. It's not of the world to come. It's not eternal. It's going to be burned up. These, this kind of conduct is, is useless. He says it's earthly. He also says it's not only earthly, but he says in addition to that, it's unspiritual. Now listen, these first two, we sometimes even as, as men, as believers can say, yeah, guilty. Like, I get it. There's things that we might do and be like, you know what? I don't know that that really pleased God. Have you ever done anything that displeased God? Yeah, guilty, I'm a sinner. I know there are things in my life that I do in my conduct that are un, they're not pleasing to God. They're, they're earthly, they're fleshly. James goes a step further and he says they're unspiritual. Yeah, guilty. Some of my conduct and some of the things I participate in or do or the way I live, it is, it's unspiritual. It's not profitable. It's not things above. It's, it's maybe not even something that produces it. It's, it's worthless. It's, it's vanity. It's, ah, guilty. But then he says, demonic. Have you ever thought of that? Demonic. We have a bigger problem with this one, I think admitting this sometimes. Because what it sounds like, and I, I'm a firm believer that a follower of Jesus Christ cannot be possessed by the devil or his demons. The one who is in us is greater than the one that is in the world. It's impossible for those that have the spirit of God within them to be possessed by the devil or his demons. There's zero example of that in the scriptures. There's zero precedent for that in the scriptures. But demonic influence and activity certainly could be present and prevalent amongst believers. You know what James says here? Conduct that shows forth bitter jealousy and envy is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it is demonic. Let that sink in for a minute. That's what wisdom from the earth is. Unspiritual and demonic. Guys, think about the commands that Jesus gave to his followers. You cannot love God and money. You cannot serve two masters. If you say you love me, but you do not keep my commandments, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. He said to those that were the Pharisees lying in their conduct, in their hearts, in their motivations, you are of your father, the devil. 
You know what James reinforces here? Wisdom that is earthly, that is of this earth and not from above, it produces those things that are unspiritual and demonic. And I think we can make light of that, and we shouldn't. There's a demonic agenda and presence at work in our world today, and there always has been since the fall. And the devil's not letting up. Guys, look around at the nation and world in which we find ourselves living, at what is evil being called good and what is good being called evil. Think about what the devil seeks to do. To lie, steal, kill, and destroy. We can dismiss that so quickly. But James is giving a sobering thought here. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct, his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wisdom from the earth produces, number five, disorder and evil, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile, which means evil, wicked, worthless practice. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. This reminds us again of that first point that was shared earlier, that there's a huge contrast between wisdom from above and wisdom from this world. Wisdom from the earth ultimately produces disorder and evil. He says it here, disorder and every vile or evil practice. Every wicked practice. That is what earthly wisdom produces. And again, guys, think about the wisdom from this world. Think about what is being promoted as wise, beneficial, necessary from the world in which we live. And look at what it produces. But number six, wisdom from above produces good fruits, peace, and a harvest of righteousness, verse 17 and 18. This is how he closes out this section. But the wisdom from above, and again, he uses the word but. There's a huge contrast here, okay? He is, he is making a huge contrast. He's bringing a point of, of clarification and separation. All that he just said about the earthly wisdom, but this is what is true of that wisdom that is from above. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In contrast to what we just read, think about this. The wisdom that is not from above, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, it's jealousy, if it's selfish, it's selfish ambition. It's disorder and every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness. What an incredible statement. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the wisdom from above and what it produces. Good fruits, peace, and a harvest of righteousness. What a contrast. I mean... I don't, I don't know that James could have done any better than he did here, right, of, of setting up a complete contrast. You've seen lists, right? List A and list B. Just look through those verses, 13 to 18, and look at what would fall under list A of earthly wisdom versus verse B of, of heavenly wisdom. What it is, what it looks like, what it produces, 
could not be farther from each other. And so again, guys, the question that comes into play, and we ask this most weeks that we've been in James, is what about our lives? What does it look like in our lives? What is our life producing? Is it clear to those that see and know us, you belong to Christ? Could we truthfully say in our conduct and our living and the wisdom, the skill in living that is shown in our actions, in our living, is that which is from above or that which is from the earth? What's true of us? Not only in our conduct, but in our motivations. What's true of us in our motivations, in our conduct, but also in the fruit that is being produced? Because there's fruit that is being produced. Maybe not the fruit of the Spirit, but there's fruit that's being produced. And what kind is it? What kind is it? I went really over, but I want to read this passage to you because I want to give you time at your, at your tables. In Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 1, and these are some, man, these are some hard things to read in Proverbs chapter 1. And I've shared this with folks that have come in to me for, for counseling, and it's a, it's a heartbreaking thing when someone comes in for counseling that knows the Word of God, has been taught the Word of God, and has chosen to reject and not live according to what God says. And, and they're, they're seeing the fruit of that. It's a heartbreaking thing. And as a pastor who cares for people, when I see that, it's a heartbreaking thing. And what I turn to is I turn to Proverbs chapter 1, and I share this with them because it's directly speaking about the call of wisdom. And, and wisdom here is, is personified as that, that individual that's calling out in the streets. And of course, in the context of this, the call of wisdom is, is instruction, wisdom, and knowledge that comes from the Lord versus the, the earthly or sensual or demonic wisdom that is of this world. But this is what it says. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. He says, listen, wisdom cries out. At all the prominent locations that people are passing by, wisdom is crying out. It's not that she can't be heard or she can't be found or she shouldn't be listened to. There, it's there. Guys, listen, I, I think this is a, a description, and I don't think this is the intent that Solomon did. I'm telling you, I see the correlation as it relates to even in the church today. And again, I'm not saying this is why Solomon wrote this, but I'm saying there's a correlation here that I see clearly. The same is true today within our church and within the church, not only in America, but around the world. We have plenty of accessibility to the wisdom of God. It cries out. At the most prominent locations, wisdom cries out aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And here's what she says. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? The question here is, how long are you going to keep being a fool and how long are you going to love simple things and how long will you ignore what I'm calling and telling you and what you know to be right, what you know to be good, what you know to be true? Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you've ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. 
I will mock when terror strikes you, and when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. This is a, this is a really difficult <laughs> proverb to read. And again, the proverbs are, are, are wisdom principles. There's principles here. And the principle that you see here is that if you do not listen to wisdom and the calling of wisdom, and, and wisdom here personified as, this, as a voice, this woman that's calling out in the streets about correction and reproof, and there's this idea that those that listen and hear it but refuse it, turn away from it, shun it, don't want it, that they will have produced in their life what is produced in their life, and then they're going to call out to wisdom, and then they're going to desire wisdom, and then they're going to desire what skill and wisdom from above produces in their life, but it's not going to be found because they did not fear and follow the Lord. But the last verse of the chapter says this, but, verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Never says that disaster will not come. And it never says that hardship won't come, but it says there won't be the dread of disaster. There'll be peace, they'll be at ease, and the dread of disaster will not be present with them because they hearkened unto wisdom. Guys, wisdom that is from above produces what everybody would want produced in their life, not only those that are believers, but it's what every individual living the face of the planet Earth truly desires. They want peace. People want peace. They want joy. They want hope. There was a study recently done that was between 70 and 80% of people said that they are interested in spiritual things and hope to grow in their spirituality. Between 70 and 80% of people polled said that. And they're trying all kinds of things to find that. And we have the right source for all of that. But who do we hearken to? Who do we listen to? And what is it we're doing? What is being produced in our lives? James is pretty straightforward in verses 13 to 18, considering wisdom. Let me give you some questions to talk at your tables. Let me give you about 10 minutes to discuss these. Number one, would you say your daily living is marked by wisdom from above or wisdom from the earth? How so? Explain that. Why do you think so? Number two, what primarily motivates you in your daily living, at your job, in your home, in your relationships? And does this reflect wisdom from above or from the earth? Guys, be honest about that. When you think about your life, your day-to-day living, your day-to-day routine, what primarily motivates you each and every day? And if it's your job, say your job. If it's money, say your money. If it's a bigger house or more things, say that. If it's your family, say that. But what is it that primarily motivates you in your daily living? And does that motivation reflect wisdom from above or wisdom from the earth number three what product is being produced from your choices in life and would you say you're producing a harvest of righteousness things that honor god things that are in step with what god wants things that are eternal things rather than temporary things to be burned up what might need to change 
so that a harvest of righteousness is produced and seen. So let me give you about 10 minutes at your tables. Try to work through these. If you can't get through all of them, don't worry about it. Get through one or two, and uh, I'll close us out afterwards. Go ahead and do that now. Things up. Um, I want to really just focus in on that last question for a moment. Uh, not the first two were important. They are, but I want to focus primarily on that last question of what product is being produced from your choices in life? Would you say you're producing a harvest of righteousness? What might need to change? Uh, Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not produce the works of the flesh. If we walk in the Spirit, what we're producing will not be from the flesh, from the world, of ourselves, but rather if we're walking in the Spirit, the fruit that is being produced will be that which is honoring to God, pleasing to God, and of eternal value rather than of temporary value. And so when we talk about what is being produced, the product that's being produced in our life, the harvest of righteousness that is either being produced or is not being produced in our life, it directly goes back to, are you walking, am I walking in the spirit or in the flesh? Am I seeking to please God or seeking to please self? If you remember when we talked about temptation and sin, every person, every man is drawn away by his own lust and enticed, right? And when lust conceives, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is fully blown, it brings forth death. And so as we really focus in on that harvest of righteousness, the product that is being produced from the choices that we're making in life, what is it on a day-to-day basis that we are seeing produced as a result of the type of wisdom or skill in living that we are demonstrating from above or from the earth? And, and really, truthfully, people closest to us that know us, watch our lives, see it reflected, would probably be able to answer that question for us. Maybe better than what we would because we're going to have a very skewed opinion of that. But really, if we think on that and we reflect on that, and that goes directly with the question number two, what primarily motivates you in your daily living? Is it self or is it Christ? Is it things above or things of the earth? Is it eternal things or temporary things? Because how we answer that question probably gives us insight of what our answer to the third question is. How we answer what motivates us daily in our living probably gives insight to what the product that is being produced in our life is. And so as you read through James 3, 13 to 18, again, hopefully this weekend, as you reflect and think about wisdom that is from above or wisdom from the earth, there could not be more of a contrast clearly stated from what James says here. What it is, what its motivation is, and what the product is from it. Let's be honest, where are we at in that? Are we going to the source, true source, that is all wisdom, all knowledge, all power, and is ever faithful, the creator of all things? Or are we choosing to listen to those who do not know what they are talking about? One would be considered wisdom, and one would be considered foolishness. I hope we're marked by wisdom, right? Let's do that. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clarity with which James teaches. Thank you for the straightforwardness as well of his teaching, God. And, and these are some can be some difficult and hard things to reflect on. And sometimes they can be difficult and hard things to be honest about. But I pray that we would do that. And God, I pray that our motivation, 
Our daily motivation for living is not for ourselves. It's not for our own comforts. It's not for our own desires. It's not for our own wants, God, but it would be for things that are above and not on things on the earth. But the primary focus and devotion that we have in our life is even as the Apostle Paul said, that to live is Christ, to die is gain, it's far better, but to live is Christ. That we would be set for the defense of the gospel, no matter what might come, and that we would be about your work as your ambassadors, and the gospel would be our motivation. And in the result of that, Lord, help us to see the fruit that is produced as we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And then we'll be quick to point all glory to you because it's only through you that we can do anything. Thank you again for your presence with us and thank you for your promises. We give you the praise and glory tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.